0: Welcome to How I Grew My Practice, the podcast where health professionals share the behind the scenes stories of how they built a thriving practice. Each episode will uncover surprising challenges, victories, and life lessons learned throughout their journeys. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to How I Grew My Practice, a podcast presented by Next Health. I'm your host, Alec. In this episode, we have Sarah Ruberg, CEO and founder of Our Thrive Tribe, they are a social media and business development agency in the DSO space here to talk to us about building a cohesive and authentic DSO brand. Sarah, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great, Alec. How are you?
1: I'm good. How's that intro? Perfect. Perfect. Well, enough on the intro. Can you, uh, for our audience who does not know who Sarah Ruberg is, if you can share a little bit about who you are? Uh, what you're up to and kind of how our Thrive Tribe got started.
0: Yes, I can. Whew. Okay, quick version. I have worked in, uh, for two different dental marketing companies. I also worked at the Dentist Entrepreneur Organization, which is really, where I really kind of understood more about the DSO space. So I've been in dental for about 10 to 12 years, and I decided about a year ago that I really wanted to help um organizations build re- better relationships. It's kind of my superpower. It's something I really enjoy doing. And I thought, what better way to do it than through through social media? And if I saw one more, did you know that blue toothbrushes are more commonly purchased than red toothbrushes, social media post for a dental practice trying to get more patients to come in? I was going to pull out all of my hair and I thought, I can help. I can help with this, and so I created our Thrive Tribe. Certainly not an easy uh, name to say, but for those who uh, were born in the same time frame as I was, um, it's called Ott. Yeah, you know me. So you know we can kind of like throw it back to some fun musical references. But it's been an amazing year since we've built this company, we get to help um, DSOs and industry partners uh, build their corporate brands, sometimes personal brands to um, build awareness in the industry. And it's been absolutely the most amazing and rewarding thing that I've ever done.
1: Well, congrats on going off on your own. It's obviously a huge decision and I'm so excited to hear about all the success given the conversations we've had leading up to the podcast. Um, but Sarah, when you say building a cohesive and authentic DSO brand, can you tell me the hole or gap you see in the industry and how you're solving problems for these DSOs and and vendors?
0: Sure. I think that one of the things that DSOs struggle with, or one of the things that they want the most, right, is they want growth, like most of us do, but they want to grow. And one of the ways, obviously, that they grow is by acquiring new practices. And even along the lines of hiring, acquiring you know, it's important to have a cohesive brand because not every practice is going to be the perfect fit for a DSO. And it's pretty painful when you're kind of matched with or end up having to move forward in a relationship where it's not a good match, right? Usually doesn't end very well. So one of the best ways, in my opinion, to kind of not that we can always avoid it, but to work towards avoiding something like that is really identifying your unique selling proposition, what it is that sets you apart and utilizing that towards really building your brand so that there are, we don't mince words. This DSO represents these things. This is their core value. Are you a good fit for us or not? And so, and plus we don't want everybody as a client or a practice or, you know, to acquire everybody. Cause again, they're not all a fit. So I think it's really important for these DSOs and it's, and it's a struggle because one thing, and hopefully nobody gets mad at me for saying this, but one of the questions that I'll ask a DSO is, Hey, what is it that sets you apart from everybody? And oftentimes it's a very similar answer. Well, we're doctor owned and led patient first. Like I start to hear a lot of the same things and those really aren't differentiators. That's a similarity across the board. So really identifying what it is that sets you apart is what I believe sets these DSOs up for success.
1: Yeah. So in all the customer conversations I have, and you say what what sets a uh, small dental practice or even a DSO different, and it's our team, you know. And it, it really feels more like a table stake to your point of similarity. It's almost uh, baseline than something that that stands out. So that's obviously a tough conversation. You're really asking individuals and organizations to look within to say what makes me unique and special. So how do you get that out of your customers to ensure that they're coming off as authentic?
0: It really kind of starts with a conversation. You know, what is important to you? And we'll even sit down. Uh, I've sat down with DSOs before and said, what's important to you? What is your selection process like? It's, it's almost, I've been told that I'm similar to a life coach which I love because I love helping people. It's my favorite thing. But even just talking about what kinds of practices are you looking for? What matters to you? What kinds of practices don't you want to work with? What's really important to you? One of my good friends loves that like DIY. I I could imagine him being like an HDTV show. He loves taking not damaged practices, but like practices that really need to be rebuilt And he loves working with those fixer-uppers, I guess I'll call them. On the other end of the spectrum, I have a friend who that's the last kind of practice that they want to work with. They're a little bit more on the um, more established, selective side. And they didn't really realize that until we started talking about it. And that's okay. I think sometimes maybe we're afraid to say, hey, we are a little bit more selective. Or, hey, I really like getting my hands dirty and fixing these these practices there. I feel like we're afraid to, to commit to, to one, one type or certain things, but it's really just about a conversation and just asking questions. What's important? What kind, what do you envision your process being, or what is it that you want your practices to look like? What don't you enjoy? You know, it's, it's like relationships as we, as you have, as you get more established or have a, a longer relationship, or if you've had one that you, you end, this is just bear with me on this, Alec. Okay. I'm going somewhere good. I promise. Cause really everything, lots of things are relatable to relationships. Right. And it's, if, I don't know if you would agree, but as I've gotten older, it's easier for me to identify what I do want. When, young, when I was younger, I was like, well, I definitely know what I don't want, you know, because I had that experience. But having that balance of what am I looking for? What am I not looking for? So it's a really long answer to your question. I think it's just about having conversations and talking about what it is that you want your other, your practice or your overall brand to look like and feel like.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think in, in short terms, I, I think it's really just about asking what is your ideal customer profile? Like who are you trying to attract and given who you're trying to attract, you have to figure out what do you want to embody and show off to those specific customers. And to your point, I think the, the, the biggest challenge that DSO say as well, My ideal customer profile is anybody with teeth, right? (laughs) And the problem there is that that's not specific enough and you're really better off trying to talk to a very specific part of the market, whether it's, you know, younger patients who live in dense cities, who, you know, make X amount of dollars, who are working at these types of companies that really lets you ask the question of who. And that then lets you kind of get into the what, um, and I think that's kind of where it makes a lot of sense that you're both branding. But when we say what, like what channels, where are you going? Um, the social media aspect, right? Because if you're, um, you know, targeting, let's say, you know, people who are north of sixty, putting your message on LinkedIn doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It'd be a big waste of time. But if you're targeting younger folks on in the tech sector, it might make sense for you to actually have a Twitter which I would not recommend for most uh for you know for most dental practices given how visual the experience is right so it's really I think about starting with knowing who you are but I guess another question I have for you given your expertise in social media um is you know how what's your recommendation for DSOs in working and 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 putting their content out on on social media
0: you know, that's a really good question. And I think one thing we also have to to talk about and remember is while it's it's great for, you know, utilizing social media and building our brand is not only it's good for, great for a lot of things, right? So obtaining new patients, retaining existing patients, new potential team members, because if if any of these, if anybody thinks that. Potential new hires are not looking at their social media to look and see what their culture, their brand is like. That's that's like a mindset we have to to get rid of because they're totally looking at that. So there's it's in, in target potential target um, smaller group practices that you might be looking to acquire and things like that. Those are all so there's kind of two the overall corporate brand of a DSO as well as their individual locations. I personally think that LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Are incredibly important to kind of like be in front of all of those people. TikTok, if you feel comfortable on TikTok, you have at that TikTok. You go right on ahead. But not everybody feels
1: comfortable doing that. It's an intimidating space. So, where and how, like, what types of content are you recommending DSOs create to put on? you know, the social media platforms that you're, you know, pending who they are and who their ICP is. Um, And then also, who are you recommending to make content at at these uh, at these large organizations?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. So there's the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of your content should be educational, informative, entertaining, really kind of like shining a light into who it is, who you are as a brand. And then 20% really should be that like call to action, give us a call, here's our special that we're running this month or anything like that. That's really like more salesy. So I think that that's a, an important rule to follow. Um, people want to know and like who they work with. People want to know and like where they go. I personally, I even like to see, so no stock photography. I, I know that sometimes it's okay to use, but I like to know where I'm going, even if it's just a picture of the parking lot and the practice. If it's in a you know, and so obviously I'm speaking from a patient perspective, but more personalized content and who should be doing that for you. If you're, I think it's wonderful to have an internal team because then they're able to focus more on you know, getting those assets from the different locations and things like that. Or if you're at the practice level, you know, really utilizing someone who's physically in the location, but sometimes they don't. So somebody, so if I work with a DSO or if if our company does, I always want to have what I refer to as an ambassador, an internal ambassador, somebody that I can collaborate with so that I can say, hey, this would be great content or this would be great great graphics or assets or photos for you to provide for me. So, and we oftentimes will even work with an internal marketing department who can provide those things. So I think it's great to have someone internal. And if you want them to work with someone external, like, I don't know, I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm biased. I think so long as it's somebody, you know what, Alec, this is what I'll say. Somebody who cares to get that message out there, that's who I think. And if you have somebody on your team, but it, it can't just be social media should not be an afterthought so it can't be that hey Sally Joe you've got like 10 million other things that you're doing let's just let's just put social media no do not do that please don't do that because it's going to stress them out and it really it's a full-time job it's important
1: yeah i even at next health, I mean, I think something you just said is that anybody who cares, um, and kind of the mindset that we are trying to adopt as an organization is that I think that content and creating content really falls on anybody's lap. Anybody who has, is passionate about something, who has something to say about the industry, our customers, our, our product, uh, something they learned about the industry. I think all should have the opportunity to get in front of the camera and share their thoughts, um, that obviously uh that i think that's what creates an authentic brand right i think that that's the the content i think uh, an organization is nothing more than a group of people that represent it so trying to ensure that humans and the human touch is felt through social media channels is the very thing that i think organizations dso specifically should be doing um so that kind of leads to a question of like if you're a dso what are what are Go, what what's good content? What types of questions are you asking DSOs uh, to stimulate them to think about getting in front of the camera and saying something?
0: I think it is important to talk about and and really and you know it's it's interesting, Alec. First of all, you are far more mature and articulate about this kind of stuff than I am. I'm just like, oh. Well, I don't know, you should just like say all this stuff and blah 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 so thank you for taking what I say and actually making sense of it appreciate oh, you for great. that yeah. um I think and and a lot of these things that we're talking about the cool thing is is that they can be applied to a DSO an industry partner any business really and I think the the type of content that you should be providing to people and it's just me I and, and so mm-hmm. i'll I'll say, I call it DIY content. So the questions, the the content that I believe that resonates the most with people is when you give them information, you provide value to them that they don't even have to use you for, they can then take that and do it themselves, whether that's care at home, whether that's um, hey, small group practice that we're interested in acquiring maybe we're not the right fit for you, but hey, here's a couple of things that you should look for in a DSO if you want to become a part of one. Really just, I like to tell people how they can do for themselves what they could also pay me to do for them. And it just, it makes me more relatable. It makes me more uh, approachable. They like to follow my content because it's helpful. So I think- Content that's helpful to people. So those questions are, hey, who who am I trying to talk to? How can I help them with how can I give to give without giving to receive? That's what I think is important content. So when they're asking themselves these questions, what should I share today? What can I tell people? What can I help them do themselves?
1: Yeah, I forgot who I I think we had either someone on the on the show or I may have jumped on another show, but a great, I think any question that your customer is asking while like typing into Google, you can literally think about them typing into Google makes great content. So if
0: you know, you as a patient
1: going to dentistry, it's like, how do I get a cavity filled or how, how do I ensure that the cavity that needs filling is done painlessly? That's great content from a DSO's perspective to show how you give pain-free cavities to be filled, right? Or it's like, how much does it cost for Invisalign? Or do you offer lingual braces or whatever, like whatever is going through their head. Like those are all fair, fair questions. Who works at the office or is the staff friendly? Can I book my appointment online? Like as it relates to Next Health, whatever. Like all of those to me are, are great places. Um, so for me, it's almost as if the questions and the the content and thinking about it is easy, but the hard part is actually creating time and finding time. But even when you prod, it almost feels that the reason that they don't create time or find time is one of two reasons. One, they don't see the value or two, they're actually scared. And given that your business is on business development and social media, you clearly have success at either convincing them of the value or coaching them as a life coach to be less scared. So how how do you handle both of those? How do you handle them not seeing the value? And then how, if, if it's not that, how do you uh, coach them to not be so scared and to get in front of the camera?
0: You know, it's funny. I think most people do see the value. I think that that's what they tell themselves, but underlying. And I just, I just had this conversation with my COO and I actually just posted about this today on LinkedIn. I think most people operate from, come from a place of fear. What if I don't have anything valuable to say? What if somebody doesn't react to my post? Like what if, what if they don't like my content? What if I don't have anything important to say? So I, and I love, 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 love this part of my job because I do get to coach people on. You do have something valuable to say. I was talking to one of my clients and he said, "Sarah, I don't, I don't have anything important to talk about. I, I, I don't know what to post about." And maybe t- the next week he's like, "I read this really great book, Sarah, and this is what this book really made me think about, and I really enjoyed reading it." I mean, this he went on and on about this book, and I thought. Why don't you post about that? That's a great thing. You're not directly talking about yourself. You're just saying, hey, I read this book and it was really great. And he did. And of course, it performed well because I know what I'm talking about, but um, <laughs> which I love to tell people. But it's it really is something for individuals to for people to get over. And so I think it's just consistently because it, it it there's value in it. You might not be able to 100% say, okay, I can determine the ROI from me posting on social media. Because first of all, if you're at the practice level and you ask a patient, how did you hear about us? And they say, Google, they could have seen you on Instagram and then gone to your Google. Like they have no idea. You really can't rely on that. Maybe every once in a while we can directly pinpoint a lead that somebody gets through LinkedIn or Instagram, but it's one of my DSO clients actually put this in such a perfect way is like, Sarah, how do I see success in the things that I do with social media? Or is it just a feeling? And I thought that's a really great question and a really great insight because a lot of it is, can be a feeling, but it's just, you just have to work at it and understand. And I mean, understand that you do have, everybody has something important to say provided you say it in a nice way, don't be a butthead about it. That's my advice. Don't be a butthead. <laughs> Isn't that like the greatest thing ever?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we listen, we're, we're an organization in the dental space trying to grow our social media channels as well. Right. Like it's, it's, it's tough. Right. And I think that something that we like to do is try and measure both our input and also the output from that right because if you were to say my goal is to get x number of followers it's not something that you can necessarily control but what we do want to ensure is that we have the right input and say if we post this many times engage this many times a month on other people's post comment on other people's posts we think it could then achieve that and if we continuously set our input goals Maybe we exceed our output or come a little short. We're at least getting better at understanding what are the types of things that we need to do in order to continue growing those channels. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is totally a whole attribution issue, which is when you ask somebody how you found, and it's you know some companies you first touch, some some do last. It's not necessarily indicative of all the content that they have absorbed that led to them you know contacting and reaching out. And that's that's, right. that's obviously. Well, a
0: well, and you, you know, you and I were talking about it earlier, because because Next Health does really do a great job on a corporate level of of posting frequently and, and their their content is great. And we know a lot about Next Health, but what we all as people want to know more about are the people that work or run the company. And so another large piece of advice that I would give to any DSO who were to say to me, Sarah, how do we grow? You have or any company, you have to have a face. You have to have a physical face of the company. And I know that it's uncomfortable and that a lot of CEOs don't have time. Or, you know, even even at these DSOs, biz dev people, biz dev people, sales salespeople in any of these companies, having a, a personal brand and a voice indirectly draws attention to the company, but it really just also brings attention to you and people want to know and like who they work with they want to feel this sense of trust and understanding so that when they see you in person they think hey Alec it's so great to finally meet you i can't wait where's mia because i'm sure she's attached to you at some point right so i can't wait to see her so you know it's it's important to to have a face my I don't want to say company content or corporate content isn't important. My company posts content, but where I get the most visibility is when I post something. So I think it's that's something important. And you see Pat Bauer, Steve Thorne, Steve Bilt. You see all these big guys out there, whether or not it's them posting personally or they have somebody doing it for them. They're out there. I know when I meet Steve, met Steve Bill in person, based upon the content he posted, I knew he was just going to be a wonderful human being, you know. And he was because he's. I mean, you want to make, you hope that the way somebody posts online is, and it's not always the case that they're always authentically that way. But that's why that's really important because you want to make sure that you're posting authentically. But, but that's like the number one thing when people say to me, "Wow, you are just." people will say you're just the way I thought you would be based upon the way you post. And I, that's always my favorite, but got to have a face.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, encouraging those faces to figure out, you know, how to represent the company in a way that the company would be proud, but also making sure that they're true to themselves and, and speaking in a way that, you know, they're, they're proud to communicate, but that is, you know, I guess going full circle on the topic authentic. Um, Agreed. Sarah, we're coming up at the 26-minute mark. Typically go to 30, um, 25, 30. Want to make sure that any last piece of advice for DSOs, obviously there's been a whole lot that we've covered. Um, one, being authentic. Two, getting in front of the camera, like getting your team to commit to getting in front of the camera, um, asking yourself what questions customers are asking to kind of find a a source of what type of content to make, what else would you leave kind of the DSO audience here of what, you know, what they should be thinking about in terms of creating an authentic brand and sharing that authentic brand across social media?
0: You know, I'm going to say to you the same thing that I said in my post today, my number one tip for anybody who wants to build a brand on social media is to just do something to start. It's the hardest part, right? And and saying, saying nothing is in fact saying something. So it doesn't have to be perfect perfectionism. So we operate out of fear and also perfectionism. Hi, recovering perfectionist. So I get that, but just do something. Nike it up, people. Just do it. Just
1: do it. Just commit.
0: That's...
1: Even if you said once a week and once a week turns to twice a week, just do something that is freaking attainable.
0: Yeah. It's it's like, uh, yes, attainable. And you know what? The one thing that I always swear by that I, I haven't even mentioned, and so I'll, I'll just say this because you mentioned it, engagement. Creating the content is important, but engaging Within the, whatever industry, whatever whatever target audience you have, if that you're at the practice level, find a mom group in your area and engage with them, talk with them, court them in the comments before you even think about sending them a cold message. So engagement is, in my opinion, just just as, if not a little bit more important than even content. So that's my my last piece of advice.
1: Sarah, thank you for joining us today. I know for any additional branding and social media advice, I will be personally contacting you. Um, And for anybody listening who needs assistance on starting and just being held accountable, uh, certainly reach out to Sarah and what am I, oh my goodness. I'm gonna reach out to Sarah and my God, the the OTT. Our Thrive Tribe. OTT. Yeah. God, I was like, an mm-hmm. our tribe thrive. And then I was like, oh gosh. Anyway, that's- a- Yeah, try
0: writing in my email. Yeah, that's tough. Just find OTT. me on LinkedIn. That's the best way. Yeah,
1: go. find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, thank you so much yes. for joining us today.